The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab 861 for Monday, the Ides of March 15th, 2021. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. The show where you send in all your questions, all your tips, all your cool stuff found. We mix them all together into an agenda. We follow loosely the agenda with the goal being that each of us learns five, maybe today, six new things. Sponsors for this episode include Sunbasket at sunbasket.com slash MGG with code MGG at checkout. Two bird at two bird.com. T-W-O-B-I-R-D.com. And CandidCO.com slash MGG. We'll talk more in depth about each of those shortly here. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in sunny Fairfield, Connecticut, this is Jada Fran. It is. Yeah, it's been sunny. It was warm for yeah, me. Yeah, I've been hitting the you. beach, man. Yeah. Yeah. Got I'm a little colder today. Seriously. Right? Yeah. I believe you. Yeah. But yeah. I think all, all the snow is gone. And oh really oh yeah not here there's still snow on the ground here Nah, actually sure. there's a couple of piles here and there yeah. that were big piles that are a lot smaller yeah yeah cool yeah, to charge the ac in the car man because it got hot in there really wow all right yeah well dark interior you know it yeah gets, yeah yeah gets warm quick sure sure cool all right well let's um let's do some quick tips shall we i'm gonna take us to matt Oh, I will take us to Matt. So Matt says, come on, Evernote. I had a couple of emails selected in Apple Mail and was about to file them when I thought, wait, I need to forward these to my wife. I hit the forward arrow and behold, mail created a new message with both messages inserted into the one new email. There wasn't a subject on the new message. So I put one in and sent it on. Who knew? Maybe everybody but me, but I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I don't know if we ever talked about that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, And I assume he means the forward button and not the forward arrow. Um, Oh, it is the button. It's the the forward button. The the forward button with the arrow. Right. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. Um, But then what occurred to me is that there's a couple of different things you can do, Dave. So I'll, I'll, this is a, just a general kind of OS wide tip. Yeah. But, um, if you use the command key, you can do a disjoint selection of items. So say I click on one and then there's one, three items above it. Sure. If you hold down command and click on it, it will select that as well. And then shift allows you to select the range. So if you click on one thing, sure. hold down shift and then click on one that's up or down, it'll select those. So that, that's just, and I think those apply in the finder as well absolutely I think they apply in most things they, they, yeah they're pretty system-wide yeah yeah cool all right cool so that's uh that's Matt. quick and easy um and then uh gene says i like to use my iphone to show photos to friends and have discovered a good way to do that in ios photos select photos and use the share button to share to a note in app notes.app I can put several photos picked from the photos library into a note. Well, because, yeah, notes uh, support pictures now. Right. Um, and then hand my iPhone to friends uh, and allows me to pick non-contiguous photos and doesn't expose unwanted photos. 
It's also easy to do Mac OS Big Sur. I drag the photos from Photos app into a note in Notes, and then uh, huh. and then it syncs to the cloud, so you get it on a so you can do it on either machine. Okay, that's cool. That's interesting. I mean, you could create an album in we Photos. Can easy photo sharing without having to wrestle with uh, photos. Yeah, I like it. You could create an album in Photos to do to accomplish the same thing. Uh Uh-oh. I'm not hearing you again. You're not here. I kind of had a feeling you weren't hearing me, John. So we'll wait for John to to uh, sync back up here. So right, hold on. I don't I don't hear you. I know, John. You're going to have to just resync. It's just how it's going to be. He's coming back. It's fine. Uh, Yeah, there you go. OK, welcome, I, I welcome back, Mr. Braun. We know we could hear you just fine. So what I was saying was the um, you could create an album in photos to do exactly the same thing. Um, but, uh, so I, I mean, like, I'm not sure where the notes, I mean, it, th- that's the beauty of these quick tips is, you know, it's a different way of doing things. And so there you go. But, um, but yeah, yeah, cool. 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 Thanks, Gene. Thanks, Matt. All right. Bob, listener, Bob points out that, um, he says, I bought a HomePod mini, which now is the only HomePod you can get. Uh, he says, and set it up today in my living room alongside my home theater and 4K Apple TV. I enjoyed listening to the HomePod. It has amazing sound for such a small device. This evening, I turned on my TV to watch a show on Netflix, and instead of the show audio coming out of my receiver and speakers, it came out of the HomePod. Apple TV menu navigation sounds came out of the speakers as usual, but audio of any movie or program I selected came out of the HomePod. I looked at every setting I could find in the Apple TV and HomePod settings in the home app, but could not change that audio behavior. I even restarted the Apple TV and the HomePod. Bottom line, there is no apparent way to choose between Apple TV audio out via HDMI or via the HomePod. But he solved the problem. Says I unplugged the HomePod from power and program audio now played through the home theater speakers as desired. And then I thought, he says, if I move the HomePod to a different room, Apple TV won't choose it as its audio output. He says, so I went back to the home app and the location of the HomePod was changed to the kitchen. Now everything works fine. Even though the HomePod remains in his living room, he just changed the virtual room in the home app to the kitchen. He says, now everything works fine. Apple TV audio out to the receiver and speakers via HDMI. The HomePod still physically located alongside the home theater, only playing what I ask it to. So that's interesting that, that it, it tries to outsmart you and plays to the home pod. If it sees it in the same room, I, I wonder there's, if I'm, there's, it feels like there's gotta be a way to change that. I don't have a home pod here. I mean, I've, I've gotten them and tested them and sent them back. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't have one to test with, but that's interesting that it would automatically do that. That, that feels a little uh, aggressive, if you will. So I don't know. You don't have a home pod, right, John? No, no. Okay. All right. And then, uh, Lucas, uh, who, my, my son who gave us that great quick tip about star Wars from the command line last week, sends us another quick tip. If you are in messages on the Mac in big Sur, uh, you now have the ability to pin chats just like you do on iOS 14. And of course, those pin chats sync across iCloud for you. So you, they, the same ones are in all places. Back to the Mac. If you're in messages and you want to go quickly to one of your pin chats, 
command and the number keys. So command one is the upper left chat. Command two is the second one on that row. Command three is the third one on that row. Four is the first one on the left on the second row and so on and so forth. You can experiment and figure it out. You can have up to nine pin chats, I believe, and your command keys can get you to those very quickly, which is fantastic. I've been, ever since he texted me about it, I've been using it all the time. We have, I have like six pin chats, you know, for the family and, and some other things. And it's super handy to be able to just right there in the messages app, jump around with the keyboard. So this, I like this quick tip. Thanks kiddo. I call him kiddo. He's taller than me and you know, I'm an adult now, but you know, some things never change. All right. Uh, let's see. Did you know about that one, John? Oh man. John seems to be having audio issues today. You back, Mr. Braun? You, you keep disappearing. I, I interesting. can't hear you. So I have to restart the session. Interesting. Interesting. That's not so good. It's happened several times. And I can see that I am sending you audio consistently. So it, it hmm. definitely is a thing on your end. Huh? Okay. Interesting. Interesting. If it happens again, I would say quit the uh, Mimo live app on your end and, and relaunch it just to, you know, just to see if that, that resets yep. it. And then, and then we'll tell Oliver about it. So there you go. Hey, um, Xfinity mobile, or I'm sorry, Xfinity voice, which is the service that you get with your, uh, you know, with your cable modem. So the essential, the essentially the landline service has added a, um, the, the stir shaken robocall prevention protocol. And now if they can verify that someone's uh, number is valid, it adds a V to the caller ID that comes in. So you know that when someone calls you, you can look and if the V is after it, it has verified that this passed the stir shaken protocol and you know that it's not a spoofed name or even spoofed a number on the uh, on the caller ID, which is pretty cool. So hopefully other services will start to to do things like that, too. I like that. It's pretty good. Pretty Mine good. puts the word spam question mark before ones that it thinks are suspect. OK. And is it using stir shaken to do that, John? I don't know what algorithm they're using. OK. OK, cool. Yeah, stir shaken is is what's supposed to be an industry wide uh, sort of accepted protocol for um, identifying valid versus invalid uh, or verified versus mm. in, uh, unverified things. So hopefully everybody starts to really. I think I think there's something where where they have to by a certain point in time, right? Or they have to at least divulge whether they are or not. Um, I am. I actually I have a question for everyone. Um, a brief question. So uh, I am in a neighborhood where I can see the consolidated trucks stringing their fiber. And they say that by May I can move to consolidated fiber, which I think is fantastic. Um, because only for one reason, I get faster upstream I'm right now with Comcast gigabit, I'm limited to 40 megabit upstream. So fiber, I can go up to a gigabit and, uh, and being a podcaster, that's, sort of a, a thing, but really good for all of us. Cause it, you know, up, up, uh, fast backups. The thing is Comcast Xfinity has been rock solid reliability wise for us here for 16 years. And I don't want to give up that reliability and even their customer service has been fantastic. I don't, I, I really don't experience the 
things that it's clear some people do that lead them to hate Comcast. I, I it, it just not has, has not been a thing for me. We've actually really quite liked it. We just want faster upstream speeds and Comcast doesn't offer those. So I'm curious what you folks, uh, anybody out there that has consolidated fiber, what the reliability has been like. So I probably will leave both running for several months here uh, when, when I make the switch because, you know, because I can, my Synology router will let me, John, have one as the primary and one as a failover. And it's worth a couple hundred bucks to, you know, make sure that I've got reliability mm-hmm. for a couple of months. But, um, but yeah, I'm just curious. Let us know feedback at MacGeekUp.com if you would, please. I would appreciate it. He said feedback at MacGeekUp.com. I did say feedback at MacGeekUp.com. And you can send in your questions and tips and cool stuff found to that, too. Uh, you can also join the chat room at live.macgeekab.com, which is where Alex shared the following cool stuff found, which is something called Musish, M-U-S-I dot S-H. It is the open source Apple Music web app. Now, it's cool. It authenticates using Apple's, you know, built-in authentication so that they're not like storing your passwords or anything like that. And you log in and you have this beautiful web interface that has all your playlists and you can play your Apple music and all of that great stuff. And that's awesome. And from a geeky standpoint, I love it. I'm not sure why it exists though, because there's also music.apple.com, which is not open source, but turns out, you know, is from Apple and is your, you know, official Apple music web app. So I'm not, maybe this works in other browsers, but I thought Apple music's web app worked in, in a variety of browsers too, but anyway, it's cool. So that's why we share thoughts on that, John, before we, uh, before we move on, I think I lost him again. This is not good. This is not good. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to pause the show here and see what we can find. Mm-hmm. All right. John is back. So this has been interesting. And, and one interesting thing about this issue that's happening to you, John, is you just pointed out that you have, uh, you noticed that time machine was trying to back up while we were doing the show. It, despite scheduling it not to, of course. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that, that could be the cause for this is, um, when time machine backs up, is it just backing up your internal drive? Is it backing up externals as well? No, just, just, just the internal in, SSD, just the internal SSD. Yeah. Cause I mean, it is, there is, you know, I, I don't know if computer engineers still use the term interrupts, but th- that is definitely a thing, or at least that concept still exists in some way. And mm-hmm. if, if those, if the audio buffers needed to get the sound from the app to you get reset, that would, um, or get, don't get full or don't get filled that can cause perhaps mm-hmm. cause what you're hearing, which is of course the resulting nothingness. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope it, um, let's hope this doesn't continue. Let's hope stopping the time machine backup solved the problem. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everett has a, a, uh, a cool stuff found from the most recent episode. So hopefully you hear this too, John. Hello, John and Dave. I just wanted to bring up a program called OBS, the Open Broadcast System. It is a great program for streaming out to any RTMP destination. The reason that I am bringing it to your attention today is because you had a listener request a way to record webinars. 
One of the lesser known features of OBS, or less mentioned features, as it is a button that is right below the go live button or the start stream button, you can now record straight to your hard drive in whatever format, bit rate, or resolution you feel comfortable with. You can also set it to record, let's say the meeting audio on your right track, and then you can set your personal mic to the left track, giving you more flexibility down the road. At my current workplace, we have a dedicated computer that uses the email simply record at insert company domain here. We have it pre-set up for RingCentral, Google Meets, and a couple other software-based meeting platforms. When we want to record a session, we simply send the invitation to recordings at companyname.com. From there, we simply remote desktop into the machine and start the recording when the meeting starts. If you are doing it from your personal machine that you also are in the meeting with, be sure to add your personal microphone mm. to OBS. So that way your audio is recorded along with the audio from Zoom or your platform of choice. Makes sense. I think I have taken enough of your time. So have a great day and don't get caught. That's great. And thank no. you for all that you do. Well, you're welcome. And that's great. Thank you, Everett. That's, that's, I like it. This is, um, yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good uh, to use OBS to grab all that stuff. Because that, that's, yeah. I mean, it's built to be efficient to do that for sure. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Um, so the next thing I have on Cool Stuff Found, we are entering a period here, especially in the United States, but uh, probably nationwide or probably worldwide, sorry, uh, where the uh, COVID vaccines are about to open, the ability to book COVID vaccine appointments, I should say, is about to open up to a whole lot more people. And if you've been through this or helped someone go through this, you know that the systems that they use kind of remind you, or at least remind me, of using Ticketmaster, but not Ticketmaster as of, you know, 2020 or 2019, which was a fairly well-oiled machine, much much as we like to complain about it, it, you know, it, it works way better than it used to where it would just time out and, you know, you'd have tickets and they would go away. So all of these systems that are used for booking the COVID vaccines are brand new and really haven't been road tested uh, and just got, you know, rolled out because that's how it worked. And they are not as well oiled as a Ticketmaster machine. In fact, you know, I had a thought the other day, like, why didn't they just leverage Ticketmaster to do this? And there's probably plenty of good reasons for that. But, you know, they, they know how to do these kinds of things. Anyway, those floodgates are about to open for a lot more people. And we're geeks. We like to use technology to help us make sure that we're not missing the opportunity to book our appointments. So there was a great piece in the Wall Street Journal that, uh, Joanna Stern did it. It's a video where she interviewed a guy who had gone through a bunch of this stuff. Uh, and then she also wrote it up as a text version. So I'll put links to both of those in there. And near as I can tell, these are not behind the wall street journals paywall, which is great, but they mentioned two great tools. There's a bunch of great tips in there, but they mentioned two tools. One is a, a extension for Chrome and therefore also for Microsoft edge called page refresh. 
which automatically refreshes a page for you in your browser. So you don't have to keep hitting, you know, refresh or, you know, whatever uh, your favorite keystroke of choice is to do that, which can be super handy. And then there's also a service called visual ping. It's not free, uh, but it will refresh a page for you. You it's, it's, that's actually kind of cool. You draw, you have it sort of load the page into its window and then you draw which section of the page you want it to monitor for changes. And then it will tell, it will refresh in the background for you. And then it will tell you when, you know, that section of that particular web page has refreshed and then you can go and do your thing. So there's some just, you know, some great stuff there. It is going to be a frustrating thing because there's going to be a lot of people getting in uh, and doing this. And so using technology to assist us can be a good thing. There was a, um, there's a website uh, or a service, I guess, I guess it's a website called TurboVax, which was written by a, a programmer in New York state to find available appointments in New York state. I guess they're, Every state's different, and that's the thing. But there, I guess there's, you know, hundreds of different websites, uh, you know, some with the state, some with, you know, individual pharmacy locations, not just chains. And so, uh, it, it, you know, there, there could be plenty of appointments available. And if you don't, there is no one place to look for them. So uh, this TurboVax thing that he created helps people find available appointments nearby. Uh, if you're in New York state, I, I don't, I know there's been desire for him to expand this to other states. I don't know what his plans are, but anyway, I put links to all those things in the show notes for you. So those of you that wish to sign up for a vaccine appointment that are eligible, um, as we move forward, you know, do it. My, my, my own personal advice is when you have the opportunity sign up. Um, don't, the goal is for everybody to, to have the option to do it. So if you want it and the opportunity presents itself, sign up and move forward and don't, you know, don't look back. There you go. So, uh, thoughts so, on that, John? Um, so can you, can you choose whether to have the, uh, RFID chip embedded in that or. I, I like the one that I get to hear the U2 songs that, uh, that were on the original <laughs> iPod or whatever it was that Apple added. Yeah. All right. Um, I, we talk a lot about speakers and portable headsets. And one of the things that comes up is how can you listen to music like, or, or a podcast audio or whatever on while you're on your bike and still yet hear, you know, traffic around you. And J lab came out with the J buds frames. It's 50 bucks. And what these do is they clip onto your existing glasses and they have little speakers. They, they go on the, you know, on the, the edge of the frames uh, right in front of your ear. They have speakers that aim back at your ear, uh, one on either side of your, you know, glasses. You just clip these on and, uh, and, and they're Bluetooth and stereo and all of that stuff. They are not, private in that if you're walking around other people near you can hear what's happening there they are also um uh, you know used for hands-free calling so you can use them that way too uh they're not heavy i put them on my my sunglasses and they were fine uh they they have little if your frames are like super thin they have these little um I'll call them shims. They probably hate that word, but you know little things that you can put to thicken up your frames so that you you know you put it on and uh it works great. The sound is fully intelligible. 
the low end is dramatically lacking compared to, you know, like sealed earbuds or something, which absolutely makes sense. You don't want to be like literally rocking your head back and forth just to hear low end. Uh, I thought maybe they would do something with bone conduction to get more low end, but, but they didn't, but it's 50 bucks. And, uh, and I look forward to using them while I'm on my bike, uh, to be able to hear, and you could choose to, you know, only put one on and then listen out of just one ear and all of that. They've got, um, like a hundred hours of standby time. And I think it's, it's like eight or more hours of listening time on, on each of these. So it's a pretty cool thing. And for 50 bucks, you know, pretty good, smart. Any thoughts on that, John? No, I guess it's, uh, I think that's always a challenge with especially a very tiny <laughs> yeah, um, physics. speaker yeah. is how, to, yeah, I mean, you need volume or you need surface to generate, right, low, lower tones. Correct. Right? Uh, yes. That's why this peak. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Now, could, could they do something, or I'm sure some people, I mean, you could do something digitally, right? Uh, well, I mean, not or really. No. Audio is analog, okay. right? I mean, you know, you can, there are things you can do. Like, like most small speakers can't reproduce a sound below, uh, like a middle C on a piano. However, mm -hmm. our brains are smart enough to hear the harmonics of the lower frequencies, every every note has mm -hmm. has harmonics that resonate above it. It's like uh, fifth, third, fifth, octave, fifth. It's a whole. There's a whole formula. But uh, mm -hmm. our brains. It, so if you hear a note, you know, if, if like the uh, you know an A two or something is played that you know a tiny little like two inch speaker can't reproduce the harmonics of that will be reproduced by the speaker and your brain mm -hmm. will backfill and hear that lower note. Now you won't feel it. Obviously you're not moving air at that frequency, but your brain will put fill in those notes, which is fascinating to me how the, how the mind works in those ways. Cool. But yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay. should teach a class on this. <laughs> uh, maybe we kind of do this show. So I'm teaching, I'm already teaching a class this semester at UNH and it's, 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 um, it's, it's fun, but it's, it's a lot of work, you know, so getting, I, <laughs> I told my class, I said, you know, it's really different. I said, you know, I either speak on my podcast or I go to user groups or conferences or whatever. Uh, I said, or, you know, I do, um, you know, talk to the staff or whatever. I said, it's a very different experience talking to people that are fans or employees of mine versus people who are, um, you know, on you know, just paying to be there as, as a, as a college student, I said the, the, the level of built-in engagement is lower. So, but we have fun with the class. It's good. We're, we're producing a podcast series, which is going to be a blast. So yeah. Um, speaking of earbuds, custom fit earbuds have always been outside of the realm of affordable possibility. Well, for a lot of people or just realistic expenditure for a lot of people, a company called waves custom at W a V S custom.com has changed that they uh, have these custom fit earphones all in for the dual driver earphones. I'm looking at their website. Now I have their dual drivers. They now have triple driver earphones. So of course, obviously I'm jealous, uh, but the, um, the, let's see. I'm looking at the pricing here just to make sure I get this right. 
Okay, so the dual drivers are less than 150 bucks. The triple drivers uh, are are 300 bucks. But the dual drivers sound great. That's what I have. Uh, so for 144 bucks, all in, you get custom fit earphones with two drivers in each ear, and they sound good. Like they they really do. Um, the way they do it, John, is all arguably even cooler because instead of having to go to an audiologist to get my ears scanned, I, um, or, you know, molds poured into my ear and all that stuff. I used the, the face ID camera on my iPhone to scan my ears. They have this app that you could use. And of course it's doing 3d modeling. That's what it's doing for your face ID. And, you know, I just kind of held it up to my ears and, and then, you know, they had, they had like sent me a way to download the app so that they would get access to my scans, obviously. And then they just made them and sent them to me. It, it's fascinating. And they, um, hmm. it, it's pretty cool. They, they, um, um, for those of you watching on video, I'll, I'll hold it up here. But the, the ones I got are blue. You can see the outside is all custom fit to my outer ear. And then the part that goes in my ear canal actually uses a seal. I have a comply tip on there. But uh, or what I'll call a universal seal. I have a comply tip on there on this one. And then I've got just a silicone tip uh, on the other one. And that way it's hard to scan your inner ear with your iPhone and do it accurately. Uh, and this really gets a good seal. It's I mean, they you know, and, and you can change the tip out to, to get it right. And I share this advice all the time and I will share it again because we're talking about it. Uh, your ears are not symmetrical most likely most people's ears are not symmetrical and that means regardless of of you know brand of headphones if you are using you know tips different size tips to fit your ear don't expect both ears to be the same your ears will very likely require different size tips to get the same fit so don't assume that oh i got this to work in this year i'll just use the same one over there it's not a bad place to start but uh, you can have radically different sized ears. Most of us do. I certainly do. Mm. So, yeah. So just bear that in mind. All right. Any thoughts on that, Mr. Braun? No. Okay. <clears throat> then I would love, we have all sorts of questions and everything. I would love to take uh, you through each of our sponsors for today. If, uh, if that's okay with you, Mr. Braun, please, please do. All right. Our first sponsor for today is TubeBird. TubeBird is your consolidated inbox. It brings together notes, your reminders, your calendar, your email, of course, and collaboration. TubeBird is from the makers of Notability, that best-selling note-taking app that we all love. And that's because TubeBird was built with the same philosophy as Notability. Powerful, yet simple. So the idea behind TubeBird is that you get all your tasks in one place, right? TubeBird lets you manage more of your day within your inbox that you already have because we all use our inbox as a task list. I mean, it's how it works. So let's pull it all there. That's what TubeBird does. And that way it helps reduce distractions from task switching between apps by bringing together all the necessities for productivity, including, like I said, reminders, notes, calendar, all of that stuff into one inbox. Constantly switching from an email to a document or a chat up to a calendar wastes time. That whole, we're very big fans here of 
Efficiency and focus and spotlighting where you can really just focus on one thing makes a huge difference. This is the philosophy behind TubeBird. It's super simple, clean interface for distraction-free work. And what's cool is it's free. You can go download it immediately in the App Store for Mac and iOS and, of course, the Google Play Store for Gmail users globally and Microsoft users soon. You can do it on the web, too. It's available everywhere. So go get TubeBird. Focus on the content that matters at TubeBird, T-W-O-B-I-R-D.com. Next up is Sunbasket. And if you've heard about Sunbasket before, I have some special things to tell you about here. Because here's the deal. Getting dinner on the table quickly does not have to mean sacrificing nutrition and quality. Because with Sunbasket, you can actually have it all every single day. Sunbasket wants you to have your healthiest year yet. And they're making it easier than ever with their fresh and ready meals. They're just $8.99, so they are good for your body and good for your budget. The way these fresh and ready meals work is fantastic. You just literally take them out, heat them up, and eat them. Heat them, eat them. They're fully freshly prepared and ready to heat up in as little as six minutes. Some of the meals this week, spicy southwestern turkey and sweet potato skillet, Chicken cacciatore with spaghetti, turkey bolognese with spaghetti, jambalaya with chicken and andouille sausage. I mean, this stuff, chicken tikka masala with basmati rice pila. You got to go check this out. And right now, Sunbasket is offering 35 bucks off your order when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash MGG and enter promo code MGG at checkout. So that's sunbasket.com slash MGG. Enter promo code MGG at checkout for 35 bucks off your order. One more time, sunbasket.com slash MGG, promo code MGG. Our thanks to Sunbasket for sponsoring this episode. Are you unhappy with your smile? Well, you don't have to be. Thanks to our next sponsor, Candid at CandidCO.com. Thousands of people have used Candid, the clear, comfortable, removable, and practically invisible aligners to help straighten their teeth. And now they love their smile. They sent us some customer testimonials. Cameron in Nashville says, once I started Candid, my life completely changed. I started going to the gym more. I started eating better. I even have better dental hygiene. My goal for my wedding was perfect teeth and Candid got me there. Sharon in Pittsburgh says, I wore braces as a teenager. Flash forward 30 years, I had crowding on the bottom and one of my teeth actually stuck out. That's when I made the decision to move forward with Candid and I finally got my confidence back. You got to go check this out because your treatment is prescribed and closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement and you'll maintain the same orthodontist who created your plan. That person's with you from start to finish so you never have to wonder how you're doing. The average Candid treatment is just six months, but you'll start seeing results way before then and it costs thousands less than traditional braces. So become your best you. Start straightening your teeth today. Right now, you can save $75 on Candid Starter Kit. You got to go to CandidCO.com slash MGG and use code MGG. That's CandidCO.com slash MGG, code MGG. Take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 on your starter kit. CandidCO.com slash MGG, code MGG. And our thanks to Candid for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Um, last episode, we talked uh, about Cliff's issue, trying to figure out what was chewing up uh, his 
his processes, right? Like what was using up all of his uh, resources? He heard his external drive was was grinding along. And so we told him to check with uh, LSOF and you can listen back to how, how we did that. And he says, after playing with all of this and taking a look, it appears that almost all of the open files are related to photos. Any ideas on how to curb photos background business? Is it all the indexing and photo recognition? How or do I just uh, not worry about it and buy an external SSD? So, I mean, obviously, if you can afford an external SSD, uh, that is a better uh, option because it's quieter and faster and all of that good stuff. But those can get expensive, especially when they are, you know, being used for the big stuff. In fact, a lot of times we'll use, you know, the SSD for our boot drives and things like that. And then just put the big stuff like photos and music libraries off onto uh, an external rotational because it's less expensive. But there, all hope is not lost. You can go get AppTamer from St. Clairsoft, the people that make default folder. And that uh, can be used to wrangle photos and its indexing processes so that when they are in the background and you are doing things in the foreground, it will not uh, just take up all of your resources. You might still hear the drive going, so I'm not sure. It's really built for the CPU to wrangle it, but AppTamer might be the thing to uh, to help you here. And and if it's not, maybe it'll help you with something else. We've we've been fans of AppTamer for a long time here, just to to do exactly that. So that like when we're podcasting, you know, we don't have. For example, Time Machine taking over. I'm guessing you're not running AppTamer, John. And that's probably, you know, part of what, um, you know, what happened there. So, yeah, it, AppTamer can be great, especially when you're doing things that are limiting your, your or need to use lots of your resources and you don't want the background stuff taking over. Seems like sometimes my computer is more busy using itself than I am able to use it. And it's like, can't I be first in line and then you... Do your stuff in the background. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Thoughts on that, John, or uh, time for Slough? Um, come on, man. This is a six-core i7 that should be able to handle anything. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but, it, you know, it's not always just the CPU, right? I mean, it, there's one bus. Oh, I know it. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Yes, you're, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. All right, uh, Slough, a little follow-up here. So uh, Slough, who, uh, gosh, I remember we uh, had a drink with him once. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> right before it, yeah, when we could when we could see other people or, or get together with other people is perhaps a yeah. better way of saying that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um, just listening to uh, 860 and heard the remark about Onyx not being accessible for blind users. Um. And uh, uh, um, Slough speaks uh, from a position of authority because he is, uh, he does have a visual uh, thing going on there. So Onyx is and always has been accessible with voiceover on the Mac. So maybe that was the nuances that you have to use voiceover. Um, I can't vouch for cocktails. I don't use it. But the folks at Titanium Software have done a great job of making sure Onyx identifies all of its UI elements correctly. Yes, as John said, everything should be accessible and Onyx by Titanium is absolutely. Cheers. Thank yeah, voiceover smile. just leverages accessibility. So it's if it's hinted properly, voiceover can can do it. So yeah, it, hopefully that helps out listener Sean from last week's episode. Sean, hopefully you, uh, you maybe, yeah, 
try try downloading a new build of onyx and perhaps that will get you through it if not um maybe slough will offer to get in touch um we don't we we often put mac geek Gab listeners together but never without your your mutual permission obviously mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah but you can always ask in the forums at uh, MacGeekUp.com slash forums. And that's where everybody can kind of share in the knowledge there. So feel free, please, in fact, do that. We would love to uh, to see you helping each other there. It's awesome. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Christopher on the subject of using up our computers and things happening. Christopher has a question. He says, my new setup is a new M1 MacBook Pro uh, with 8 gigs of RAM and a 256 gig SSD connected to a 43-inch monitor. And he says, um, he sent us several screenshots of notifications that he's receiving from Clean My Mac, telling him that he has heavy memory usage. And looking at iStat menus, it shows that his um, free memory is down, you know, below in the hundreds of megabytes range. And then he uses uh, iStat to, or he uses CleanMyMac to free up uh, RAM. And then he'll have, you know, gigabytes available. He says, so my question is, should I return this and opt for the 16 gig or stay with the eight gig and stop worrying about it? Well, so regarding RAM, I am beginning to think that this is a big Sur thing and that there's not any specific problem with the M1 uh, with regards to RAM. My 32 gig Intel iMac down in the office is now, and this is new, is now routinely running at less than 100 megabytes free. And I can feel it. You know, I know when when it gets there, things get a little bit jumpy moving from window to window. And then I look at iStat and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you got 60 megabytes free of RAM. And a lot of it is in the... Um, uh, what do they call it? The, the, um, uh, the, the, the inactive scenario, right? Where it's like caching things essentially. But I, I, there's something about big Sur that has changed this because I never had this, this experience, at least not routine. I would have it, but it wasn't a regular thing. Now I know 11 to three, uh, fixed a or reports to have fixed a web kit related memory leak. And I did install 1123 on Friday morning and it was, you know, it's hard to say I've used it for half a day. So to say whether it's better or not is I I can't yet, but uh, I, you know, certainly do that update to 1123, see if things get better. Uh, But I'm, there's something going on with big Sur. Have you noticed this John at all? Hmm. No, but then again, I have 16 gigs, so in both my machines. Sure. Well, I mean, that machine down in the office has 32, so it's it's certainly not starved mm. for RAM, but it is routinely mm. at less than, you know, 100 megs of, 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 of free space. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, there's something about Big Sur, I think. Uh, so we shall see. And then um, to answer... Your question, Chris, uh, Christopher, you know, should you get 16? So you're you're getting an answer from someone who bought the 16 gig M1 Air, right? Um, and I but on that machine, I have yet to experience these RAM issues. However, 
it is not my daily driver. I wind up using it every day. It really has become, you know, part of my life in that way, but it's not the thing that I'm using for hours and hours on end, you know, at my desk. And, and so I don't see these issues, but I also don't think I would see them if I just had eight gigs of Ram. I, I think you're okay with eight, but again, that's coming from a guy who hedged his bets and bought 16 and, and John just said he did the same thing. Right. So I, like, it's hard to say. So I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know how I, I know that doesn't answer your question, but that's the answer that I have. So there you go. Yeah. One way to tell, uh, one way the OS can try to tell you that it's struggling is that pressure setting. Yep. If that's too high, then that means it's 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 having problems dealing with with whatever you're trying to make it do. Yeah. <laughs> but I've never seen that bar be any color other than the you know the first color, the green or whatever it is, and and, and you're you're talking about inactivity monitor, right? Or or also, yes. I, I guess iStat menus also will report memory pressure. I'm, I'm looking at the the screenshot he sent us with memory pressure, and his is at 24%, which sounds just fine to me. Sure, yeah. And I'm looking over my Big Sur machine. So it normally, um, it normally is using about 10 gigs of RAM. Okay. Uh, with all the programs that I'm running, and that is usually a constant. At first, I was like, "Wow, it's using 10 gigs. That's that's a lot." I, yeah, right. I mean, I'm running Safari and Mail, and you know, nothing, nothing that that's a big, a big of a deal. But apparently, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying is like it just feels like a, a baseline system running Big Sur that's been up for a day or two has mm -hmm. you know is using more RAM, a lot more RAM than, than prior in, in the chat room at live.macgeekup.com. Kiwi Graham says, I'd be more interested in how much swap is allocated. Uh, inactive used memory is okay. And I agree with that to a degree. It is certainly swap is a good indication that the system has decided it needs to start using disk space to do things. Uh, and and on on mine, I'm seeing you know somewhere between one and two gigs of swap used downstairs, which isn't mm -hmm. out of the ordinary. Um, you know, it's it rarely does it jump up to like six gigs of swap used, but it is you know at this free level of like fifty megs, which is just super low for me. Like this machine here in the studio right now, also has. 32 gigs. Maybe it has 40 gigs actually. But anyway, I've got 12 gigs of free memory right now. So like that mm -hmm. feels like a good thing. And I'm running obviously lots of things. I'm recording a podcast. I'm streaming this. We're doing the video. I have logic running as my mixer. Like there's a lot going on and I've got 12 gigs of memory. Now, of course I reboot every week before we do the show so that I have free Ram. I'm curious, how much free Ram do you have right now, John? Uh, let's see. On both machines, uh, about five gigs. Okay. Ten used five uh, or ten used and five free. Okay. There you go. And is that free counting inactive in the free? I know iStat menus by default counts inactive RAM as free RAM. And I, I turn that off. I count free RAM as free RAM and inactive as inactive. So I'm just curious if you're, you know, are we comparing apples to apples, uh, so to speak? Yeah, it's it's reporting free. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, there we go. Uh listener David has a question. 
He says, uh, I have, uh, I, I used to have just a 2012 MacBook Air with four users, mom, dad, daughter one, and daughter two. In 2017, dad purchases a MacBook Pro and uses migration assistant to set his MacBook Pro still with mom and daughter's accounts. Okay, great. Uh, then daughters one and daughter, daughter, daughters one and two get MacBook Pros for college. Mom continues to use the 2012 Air that is now showing its age. Last Friday, dad purchases an M1 MacBook Air. Nice guy dad is giving mom his 2017 MacBook Pro. Great. Here's what we want to do. Number one, we want to clean up that MacBook Pro, dropping both daughter's accounts and migrate mom's information from the old air to the MacBook Pro. Number two, we want to migrate dad's accounts from the MacBook Pro to the M1 Air. And number three, both current laptops back up via time machine uh, to a Synology. Okay, great. Sounds good. Uh, what's the best, best path forward with the MacBooks and what should we do with the Synology? So this sounds like a fun little project. Um, my thoughts are pretty straightforward with this. I would, um, I would take the MacBook Pro because that's the one. Well, the first thing I would do is reformat the Air if it has anything on it, but it probably came formatted fresh from the factory, so you're probably good there. And then migrate, slurp in your data first from the MacBook Pro to the MacBook Air with Migration Assistant uh, and, and do that. Uh, and then reformat the MacBook Pro and use Migration Assistant on it to slurp in mom's data from the old air. And I really think that that's going to be your easiest path. How would I use the Synology in this scenario? Well, I would probably use Carbon Copy Cloner to make a one-time clone to a disk image on the Synology of each, the MacBook Air, the old air that you're going to do away with, and the Pro before you reformat it just in case there's something one of your daughters needs or something that your wife needs that doesn't get migrated over. But that's how that's what, so I would do that first, I, you know, obviously, because can't do it after you reformat Well, you could, but it wouldn't be as valuable. Uh, and that's why I would migrate those over. And, and um, yeah, I'd, I'd rely on migration assistant for this. I mean, it, you know, you could do it manually, but I think you're going to be okay with, with migration assistant on this one. I don't know. What do you think, John? Um, <clears throat> That's what worked for the last Mac that I set up. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And the air, um, you may be able to get a few bucks from Apple. I was surprised that they mm. actually gave me some money for my uh, MacBook Pro 2012. Right. Right. Yeah. That's they right. did. I forget what I got. I mean, it was nowhere near what I paid for it. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I hate to uh, jinx us, John, but it seemed I'll knock on some wood first. Mm -mm. But it uh, it seems like you uh, by after disabling Time Machine, your system has been happy with receiving and and playing audio for you from me. So that's yeah, good. I had to do a reset once, but oh, interesting. Uh, I okay. usually do at some point. Okay, interesting. Yeah. All right. So it's a resources thing. That's interesting. We'll have to report that to um, Oliver and the folks at Boinks to see if they can help you troubleshoot <clears> that. <throat> All right. Uh, you want to take us to Rick? Uh, Rick's got a quick one here. Uh, nice tip in 854 regarding IoT devices not connecting to 5 gigahertz networks. I had this problem with a shark robot vacuum turned off the 5 gigahertz radio, and then it worked. Turned 5 gigahertz on after setup, and that works again, too. So 
So he just wants to thank us for pointing it out because it shouldn't be that way, but it is. It's, it's, yeah. So just a quick recap on that is some devices, the setup process. So the software that's on your phone to set them up, try to connect them to the exact same radio that your phone is connected to. And if the IOT device, in his case, a shark robot vacuum only supports 2.4 gigahertz, but your phone is connected to five, then it, that setup will fail for obvious reasons. And the trick is to turn off the five gigahertz radios in your router temporarily or in your mesh temporarily so that your phone's on 2.4. Then it can share that data with the, the robot vacuum. Everything's fine. And then your phone can go back to five because it's already shared the data with the vacuum and mm -hmm. everything's good. So that's the, that's the, the trick there. So thank Yeah. I'm glad that worked, Rick. Thanks for, for sharing that. All right. Um, Everett has a Bluetooth issue to share. So another audio comment from Everett. Hello, John and Dave. Hello I just again. wanted to share my experience so far with Bluetooth 5 in my Mac Mini. Currently, I have the THX Panda headphones. Lovely pair of wireless headphones if you haven't checked them out already. But I have been having this issue when using the headphones and AirPods, either one interchangeably and my Bluetooth trackpad and my Bluetooth keyboard, both Apple, the Bluetooth module will randomly crash and freeze in the point that I have to go up to the Bluetooth menu and reset it or wait two minutes and then turn off and on each Bluetooth device to get it to reconnect. Mm. As you can probably imagine, this is very annoying. But the source of the issue seems to be any USB hub that is USB 3 capable. Whenever I use a USB 3 hub specifically, it makes my Bluetooth devices act funky. Or if I have my trackpad unplugged from the wired connection, it will make my Bluetooth devices act flaky as well. So currently, my fix for Bluetooth flakiness on the Mac Mini is a USB 2.0 hub to run anything that isn't USB 3 necessary, like my UPS, my Stream Decks to make my calls a little more enjoyable with some sound effects, <laughs> and Thanks any other non-speed necessary devices. The other thing that seems to be working just fine is a USB-C to USB-A adapter. It must be one-to-one. -one. If it's a USB-C to USB-Mini, it acts flaky again. Just thought I would share my experience and wonder if you had any input about the flaky devices. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs> Having fun with the Stream Deck. That's great, Everett. Um, the yeah so the U, USB 3 as we've mentioned recently but also for many years USB 3 will interfere with 2.4 gigahertz connections and the and and that often means wi-fi but bluetooth also runs at 2.4 gigahertz and so it doesn't surprise me that you're having this issue as far as solving it, you know, you've you've mitigated it very well by using a Bluetooth or a USB 2 hub 
for the things that don't matter, right? That would be USB two anyway. Uh, proximity is certainly related to this. The further away you can get those USB three devices from the Bluetooth antennas on your Mac, the better. So try moving it from one side of your Mac to the other, depending on which kind of Mac you have. Sometimes it's got antennas on both sides. Sometimes it's one side. Sometimes it's the bottom. Sometimes it's the top. It, it really depends. So, you know, moving things around and, and shielding can also solve this problem, right? I mean, you know, proximity creates distance. Shielding creates distance without actually creating space. So think about, okay, is there some sort of metal thing that you could put around or between your computer and the Bluetooth hub or the USB hub, sorry, so that the interference from it isn't, you know, constantly getting in the way. And, and so it's going to take some experimenting, which you've already been doing, which is great, obviously. So that that would be my advice on this, John. I, I don't know. What do you uh, what do you think, man? Oh, I think we lost John again. I shouldn't I shouldn't have knocked on wood. I should I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> Thoughts on this, Mr. Braun? Um. There's a nice article that uh, mentions many things that you did. Okay. Uh, resolve Wi-Fi and Bluetooth issues caused by wireless interfer interference. It's uh, it's from our friends at Apple, and uh, yeah. So some of the things that he had already done, uh, they suggest in here, like get as many things as possible off of 2.4, <laughs> which it sounds like uh, he did in a sense and that he, uh, you know, segmented uh, certain devices or. Right. Um, and they, they mentioned other things, you know, bring things closer to, um, and the, they, they even go through um, uh, interference sources uh, or, or how different um, materials, uh, which ones are more likely to, uh, cause you grief right right uh like for example uh the top is metal because antennas are made out of metal and rf but goes to antennas so right no so i it, um, like it's interesting apple's list is is sort of backwards from what we would recommend in ev's scenario because you want to create interference between your usb three devices and your bluetooth devices so using metal there is a good thing because it's going to create that interference. Whereas wood glass and, you know, like a lot of plastics and not so much. So, yeah, but you could build a Faraday cage around your USB hub. That'd yeah. be fun. I don't know. Why not? <laughs> yeah. So put it next to your Van de Graaff generator, right? That's right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> if you put a Van de Graaff generator inside the Faraday cage with the USB hub, did we break <laughs> through the space time continuum? I'm not sure. It'd be fun anyway. All right. Um, let's see. You want to take us? We've had some geek challenges come in, John. You want to take us to Scott, my friend? Oh, all right. Right? Why not? Let's, uh, let's, let's see what happens here. Let's see what we get. Uh, let's see what we get. Uh, oh, yeah. This is a toughie. All right. Um, having issues with my external storage connected to my M1 Mac Mini. I upgraded from a 2018 Mac Mini running Catalina, which is what I have, by the way. Um, and the issue never happened with my 2018 Mac Mini, only when I upgraded. I'm not sure if it's a Mac Mini M1 issue or a Big Sur issue. Yes. 
to continue, the problem is with my external USB-C hard drive array. It's a Western Digital 2-bay MyBook Duo USB-C mirrored as RAID 1 with two 8-terabyte drives. Okay, yeah, and I looked at it. Seems like a decent little uh, unit if all you want to do is store your data. Yeah. Yeah, let me do some other stuff too. Um, the drive works great, but now I get random errors like it randomly ejecting and or the drive not being available. Eject my book duo before disconnecting or turning it off. Oh, yes. that. If you keep getting that message, um, well, I'll, I'll continue. Okay. But, um, but that's a sign of something wrong with a certain part of the system, right? Uh, I see messages like this multiple times a day. At least once a day, the drive will show in shown in the finder, but not be accessible. When I try to mount it in the finder, it has an issue. Force ejecting and replugging the USB cable uh, resets it and it mounts and works fine. The interesting thing is that the array has two USB-A ports on the back of it, and I plug in a one terabyte SSD into that port, and I never have the same issue with that drive, only the Western Digital. Hmm. Okay. You know, looking at the variables, Dave... Um, this may be going out on a limb here, but I wonder if it's struggling with either the M1 or Big Sur doesn't like the way that raid looks and it's, it's, it's kind of wrestling with it. I don't know if you want to re-raid the system i mean i was trying to think of the other things i mean it could be a power supply going to that thing so that thing has a external wall board it could be the power supply in the wd is just starting to fail um you mentioned i think yeah i mean uh it could be a failing power supply yeah um I mean, it, it, I think he said, you know, he, he, he checked the cable. Yeah, he changed the cable. I mean, that, that was the other thing is, duh, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's your USB-C cable. It still could be. I don't know if, I don't know if you unintentionally replaced a cable that worked with one that, uh, I mean, I think, uh, no, that, that, that shouldn't be a problem. No, I was thinking it would, it would be the amount of power that is is being carried through the USB-C mm. thing, but it's not charging. It's just sending data. So no, I right. doubt that's it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not power delivery or anything like that. Yep. Yep. Now, yeah. we said he uninstalled the WD Utilities software and reinstalled, but, but yeah, he didn't say that he re rebuilt the array. So, so those reading the... Um, WD website about the what, uh, what's this called? The MyBook Duo. Uh, it is, as they say, RAID 0 ready out of the box. Uh, and then you can use their utility to reconfigure it for RAID 0, RAID 1, or just break it into two drives that are exposed to the system, essentially, you know, JBOD mm -hmm. style. And then you do whatever you want with your Mac, which I suppose you could then you know, use like soft rate or Mac OS's built-in rating uh, for that. Uh, and that would, that's, that would be interesting. So, uh, and he says he's got it. Which way does he have it? Is he um, raid? Which raid? I think he said that he did raid one. So that's okay. Uh, okay. But that's going to be inside. If he did it using their utility, that's going to be hardware raid one. Right. So it, oh, it's, sorry. it's reporting to the Mac that it is one volume, right? And the Mac doesn't know 
that there's this raid on the other side of it, similar to like a, you know, a Drobo or something, right? It's like, here's a volume. You, you don't, don't, don't you worry your pretty little head about what happens inside the box here. Right. So that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of how this is here. So it's not Mac OS that cares about this raid. The only way Mac OS would see the raid is if Mac OS created it. And after he put it into like independent drives as JBot or whatever, which he could do, that would be another way to do this. I, yeah, I, I would, I would lean toward more toward power supply like you I, I, on this. I think that's, that's probably what's going on, but you know, geek challenge. If anybody's seen this and actually knows has, or has solved it, let us know feedback at MacGeekCub.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you uh, touched on this. And so I'm going to circle back to a question that, that we had skipped earlier, which was about that whole disc not ejected properly error. Uh, Sandra had written in and said, you know, uh, I have a problem that I'm trying to solve every day. I get to my computer and there are three external discs, Superman, Time Machine, Robin, all saying uh, eject this properly before disconnecting or turning it off. And she's got um, in her scenario, John, she's got things. One of the drives is a Drobo. And then the other are one is a, a Western digital drive. And I think one is another, uh, I'm not sure what the brand is. A couple of them are plugged directly into her Mac and a couple of them are plugged into a USB hub. And so I've seen this before. What, what, what would your thoughts on this be, John? You said you had some thoughts to share. So that's kind of why I brought this just resurfaced this one. When you, when you see that yeah, error. So, uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Uh, bad cable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's saying this thing that I just saw went away and you didn't tell me to put it away. So I'm going to yell at you is, is what's happening. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you're right. Bad cable. I mean, if it, it, I guess the thing to start with is assuming that this is a hardware issue and not a some weird software issue, which I suppose it could be, but in my experience, very unlikely. Uh, the thing to remember is that USB is one bus, uh, or at least things connected usually, you know, there might be multiple buses in the Mac, but any given USB bus sort of shares its problems amongst other devices. And what that means is if one device on a USB bus is having trouble or misbehaving in some way, it can negatively impact the other devices on that bus. It is all shared bandwidth. So seeing this makes me think, okay, maybe there is a uh, malfunctioning device on the bus. And what I would do, and it's it, in this scenario, especially the one that Sandra described where it's happening every day, like waking from sleep for her, it seems the problem is, you know, testing is tedious and slow, but you know, before you put it to sleep one night, eject everything except one of the drives, right? Take the hub, like get rid of as much as you can on the USB bus so that you can isolate these things and then start adding things back in. So add in, you know, if it doesn't fail one night, add in another drive. Uh, if it fails with that, with two drives connected, take off the first one, see if it fails again with that one and see if you can isolate down where it is. It could be your USB hub is the problem. Right. I've seen those go bad for sure and cause weird issues like this. And the fact that it's happening to all three of your drives doesn't necessarily mean that the problem is with all three of your drives. I think that's the that's the important takeaway here. You just need to start doing some isolation testing and 
and you know, as we, as we like to say, right. Honor the troubleshooting process as, as tedious as that might be, but change one thing, test, change another thing, test, and hopefully you'll figure mm -hmm. out, right. Hopefully figure out which device it is. So. Yeah. Or to speed things up, just change everything. And yeah, that's, that may fix the problem. That's great. That's, um, that's super helpful. <laughs> no, what, what, uh, uh, no, but I'll give you something super helpful. So if you want to see the lay of the USB device tree, um, which may be helpful because yeah. it, it, you're, you're right in that, um, the, there are multiple USB buses. It was what I'm trying to say here. Um, and the um, so it could be that just one of the buses is weirding out or the chip is bad or something like that. Um, so all three of your devices could be on the same bus. But where do you go to see that? So you go to uh, system information, hardware, USB, and it will show you all of your USB buses. Um, I see a 3.01 and I got some 3.1 ones and even a T2 bus. Interesting. Right. Um, so that's where you see how the the your devices are grouped, and that could uh, help your help your analysis. Yeah, that's a great idea. That'll at least give you a, uh, a you know a, a a place to start. That's not just a blank slate, right? You know, you can you can use that to educate and guide your your troubleshooting decisions. So yeah, cool. All right, John, we got time for one more. Take us to uh, Wayne and his geek challenge. If you would, please. Yes. Cool. All right. Wayne, evidently stuff has been going into the Apple Health app for many years. Most of it isn't terribly interesting to anybody. How can I generate a subset to send to the doctor? If I export everything, I end up with a zip file of about 100 megabytes. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. How can I pare this down to something that might be useful? Um, I mean, the only thing I can think of, Dave, is that there's something called Health Data Importer. I so um, if, you, if you go into the health section, I forget exactly where, but yes, um, you can export that data and it uh, exports it into a zip file, which I think you can then load into a spreadsheet and you can see all the raw data. The thing is, um, it's only really set up in a format where you can import it back into health again. Right. But I'm thinking this health data importer i i haven't used it maybe i should try it um because i do have health data not a lot but some um and i even looked at it and you know it had like you know blood work results and stuff like that so yeah so it puts all that data in there yeah but maybe this program uh can selectively um import some of that data which you can then re-export it i don't know yeah yeah. Or ask the developer. Maybe maybe he could add a feature for you. I'm sure because uh, this isn't the first time we've had somebody requesting the ability to fiddle with the health data. Um, I mean, you you could also you know uh, you know learn uh, a programming language and then uh, you know parse it. You know, write a parser. <laughs> so I'm reading, John. There might be the answer. Might be there. Yeah. So the people that make health data importer uh, say that they also make a tool called health XML splitter and health XML splitter is, and I'm reading here is a tool that will split large health exports generated by health app into smaller individual chunks 
Uh, breaking it up can be difficult. With this app, all you need to do is drag and drop your export.zip or export.html, and the app will take care of the rest. Now, I don't know if it's splitting it in an in a in just a logic in it, it, what the logic is behind splitting it. If it's just size chunks of different sizes, but the data isn't compartmentalized, then that might not be helpful. But if the data is somehow compartmentalized or maybe reach out to the folks at Lionheart software who clearly are interested in providing the tools that we would need for stuff like this and tell them what you're looking for, they might just have a solution or create one for you. So yeah, pretty good. I like this. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I don't know. All right, cool. Uh, right. I said that that was all we had time for. And it turns out that that is true. So we will, um, we will, we will, we will find the band enjoying the sunlight. There they are. I've been playing that same song yeah. for decades, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just started thinking, ah, should I, maybe, maybe, Maybe we need to throw a database at this problem because that's always one of the first things you do when you have a problem. Right. The data. So you get a database. Yeah. You right. got to fiddle with the data. Because then you don't have to fiddle. So, yeah, you yeah. could you could learn, you know, learn SQL or something also. I think there's a SQL database in, in Mac OS, right? I wouldn't I wouldn't use it. I would use MySQL far more. In, if you're going to learn oh, yeah, it, I have a skill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have a marketable skill. Yeah, back, the in, back in the day, I yeah, we used... Uh, my SQL on the yeah. Windows machine. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. Slurping this into a database. Like, well, I mean, you could slurp it into a FileMaker database too. I don't see any mm-hmm. reason why you couldn't do that. That would, um, FileMaker, I mean, XML imports into FileMaker are cake. So that, mm-hmm. honestly, that's where I would start with this. Um, because then, you know, you've got, um, then, then you can do all kinds of things with it. And file makes it, makes it super easy. You don't need to learn a database language. So I, that's where I would, that's where I'd go with it. I know I'm kind of crazy about FileMaker, but there's a reason, and it's things like this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in fact, someone might have already built a FileMaker database to slurp in and manage your health data, and you could adapt that for your own, you know, desires. Yeah, yeah. Right? Find a FileMaker user group, and maybe you can. Yeah. It really is straightforward. Like if you're someone who would consider heading down the path of like learning MySQL to pull this in, mm-hmm. FileMaker will not like FileMaker will be so much easier than that. Uh, it, you won't have mm-hmm. any trouble with it. And if you are someone who is not interested in learning MySQL, FileMaker is also going to be easy for you. So that's I think that's right. I like that idea, John. Yeah. Database. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for uh, sending in all your questions. Thanks for, um, well, thanks to Cashfly. They're the ones that provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And, you know, it's been a little while since we talked about it, but I want to remind you that Cashfly has your back, too, not just ours. So they're the CDN that we use, but they also have that new web optimization thing where all of your content can be optimized before it's delivered to visitors without requiring any development from you. So you think FileMaker was an easy solution in the last question? This is even easier. They've got all the APIs you need to solve all your content distribution problems. They've got application load balancing and 
Because you're a Mac Geek Gab listener, they've got something for you. Because Cashfly is going to provide a free optimization consultation just for being a Mac Geek Gab listener. So you can know exactly where your site stands with the Lighthouse score report and how their web op- optimization solution at Cashfly can add 60 points to your score. So go to mac.cashfly.com for that. So there you go. Yeah. Thanks to all of our premium contributors. We will uh, thank you by name next week for sure. But if you want to learn more about that, go to macgeekab.com slash premium or just simply macgeekab.com. It's right there on the on the front page. How do I, uh, where do we want them to find us, John? Um, did we mention feedback at macgeekab.com? Oh, yeah. I think we mentioned it's feedback at macgeekab.com several times, but it never hurts yeah. We said we were going to go for mm-hmm. six things today, not just five. So I think that means we can talk about mm-hmm. feedback at MacGeekab.com more than the prescribed three. <laughs> so I think so. Right. I think it's good. Sweet. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for everything. And we will uh, we'll see you next week. Make sure to check out our sponsors, too. You know, we had um, we had sunbasket.com slash MGG. CandidCO.com slash MGG, twobird.com, one inbox for all your tasks. It's actually pretty cool what they built there. All right. Yeah. Tell your favorite friend about the show. John, what should what else should they tell their favorite friend? Don't get caught. Made up.